Hello, everyone. Welcome to Two Sides HR Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Davis. Anyone in the field of HR knows how crazy the talent situation is in the U.S. That's things like high turnover, fewer candidates, deep competition, and serious retention challenges, all of which lend to this problem. I recently spoke to an HR professional whose organization operates globally, including in Europe, UK, US, and Canada, about the situation, and we discussed some ideas that might help. It is my pleasure to talk with Francesca Bosi. She's the Chief Human Resources Officer at Docibo. Francesca has built the organization's global family with over a decade of experience in e-learning, digital environments, and scalable processes. Francesca loves the challenges that come with high growth, global expansion, and supporting her people globally. She is a lover of technology whose passion is fueled in her support of young women to understand their unlimited power. Her belief is that technology will rule the world and women need to master it in order to become active actors in the new era upon us. Ms. Bosi holds a bachelor's degree in human science from the University of Milano Bicocca in Milano. Thank you so much, Francesca, for joining me today. So we're here to talk about talent shortage. A lot of my listeners are in the U.S., but we live in a global economy, and my understanding is is that the talent shortage is not just a U.S. problem. Could you just talk a little bit about, you know, sort of what you do and what you're seeing in your markets? Thank you. Thank you, Jim, for this question. So I'm Francesca Bossi. I'm the chief HR officer um, at Docebo. Docebo is a global company that... Uh, uh, right now has offices in North America, so U.S., Canada, U.K., Germany, France, Italy, and Australia. So I have the chance to uh, see uh, different markets across the globe. And yes, I can confirm that this shortage of talent is not just a U.S. thing, it's something that uh, it's happening everywhere. One of the things that was interesting about COVID was that, you know, as we all know, um, everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people went remote and because there were so many organizations hiring remotely, the talent pools became truly global for many. So how did that not solve everything? Yes, yes, yes. So this was um, quite a big change, um, even um, even for us, because probably uh, in the U.S., uh, this is something uh, uh different because U.S. has has always been quite a common market. I mean, we have always hired remote people in the U.S., but in EMEA, this changed the game a lot, meaning if you are in Italy, um, but your office uh, is in another country, you know, you can uh, apply for uh, positions that are uh, uh, everywhere. Also because Europe is smaller, it's quite a small um, area, so the time zone does not impact that much. So uh, with a lot of companies moving to Italy, when I say companies, I mean generally SaaS company or tech companies, right? Because we operate in the in uh, the software uh, industry. So this changed very much the game. Uh, we see employees receiving uh, um, uh, receiving offers from uh, many other countries in Europe, and this uh, changed a little bit the approach. So the market is completely changed. Uh, this. Uh, as also a reflection in the salary market because this unifies a lot the benchmarks uh, 
uh, putting the salaries on a different level. They are increasing a lot, not only the base salary, but also the benefits, but also the perks, but also everything that is connected in a way to the compensation and what we offer to the employees. So this COVID thing really changed um, the way we operate the mid-talent acquisition uh, market. Yeah, it's really been interesting to see. Um, I also was recently on the job market, uh, which is as chaotic as ever. Um, but one of the things that's interesting about the salary situation is that some organizations have taken the, in the U.S. anyway, have taken an interesting approach to saying, well, okay, you know, sure, salaries in our area are really high. Like, let's say you're applying out in Seattle or New York City, but you don't live in Seattle or New York City. You live in Montana, and their salaries are low. So we're going to give you a lower uh, salary offer. Um, is that something you've seen or experienced uh, in, in with the folks you know or the organizations that you know? Mm, I'm I'm seeing quite the opposite right now. So what I'm seeing is that even in, in the U.S., the market is uh, uh, becoming uh, quite one one market. So, um, you know, the database that we used to check uh, salaries uh, benchmark for salary benchmarks are updating the data, not anymore once per year, but every three months because the salaries are changing so quickly that if you are looking for the data that are not updated, you are going to offer a completely uh, disaligned salary. Also, because, uh, you know, the state where you are in is not really uh, important anymore. Uh, and this uh, uh, is also a reflection of what we have just said. Even for California, the California is influencing uh, the salary in the tech area in all um, the other states and in Canada as well. So That's really interesting. So much of what analysts and experts thought was going to shake out just didn't in the beginning of the pandemic. You know, like the idea that with remote hiring, you're going to be able to easily find people because you could go from a, a global talent pool, but that's clearly not been the case. Um, yes, you have access to more candidates, but you're also in a very competitive landscape. Lots of other folks are looking at the same folks that you're looking at. Um, and then this idea that, okay, well, maybe we can get away with paying them less. Um, that was briefly floated in the beginning of the pandemic when we saw the unemployment numbers uh, go up. Um, but yeah. that's, you know, clearly shaked out into a very different, yes. very different yes. world. So it's, and you're right, every three months, I mean, it seems like you'd have to look at your salary situation as often as possible. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what kind of chaos that is imparting or how you guys are handling that? Because that has a lot of implications in organization. See, I mean, I believe that the most important thing is not using the salary as the only way to retain your talent because and I believe that's pretty easy to understand. Money are not the only motivation to keep the employee engaged. That is the ultimate goal, right? So you should look at it in a more broader way, but also in a very creative way, because, uh, you know, you should be able to understand what is uh, 
what your unique population wants, how they are motivated, how you can get, how you can put in place to keep them engaged. And salary is just one way to look at it. Many uh, other topics are have the same importance, like how do you train your people? How you make sure that they are evolving as uh, employees in their career? Are they growing or not? Are you taking care of this uh, of this aspect of of their life because this is becoming very very essential? So, putting their growth and empower them in doing what they want to do, but also what they are aspiring to be in the near future. So this is a key asset together with a very comprehensive uh, mental health program together with making sure that uh, the company purposes are aligned with the employees' purposes. We know very well that right now this is one of the major drivers that uh, um, keeps uh, um, you engaged with a company or, or with a brand, even if you are a customer. So this is another topic that um, is very, very important when it comes to um, work on engagement and um, how to retain your people. It's always been a no-brainer to me. I mean, if you have a talent shortage, make sure people aren't walking out the door. Um, that may not always be as obvious or as easy um, as, as some people would like. You know, there's a lot of opportunity out there. People are doing, you know, they're doing the unthinkable. What five years ago, even three years ago, you would never imagine someone's going to quit their job before they have another job, at least here, which is just un, unimaginable. And some organizations and, and hiring managers have understood what does that mean? That means that things have changed and we don't have the same bargaining chips that we used to have. Some employers uh, have lived in a situation where change doesn't happen in their organization as easily and they, they are struggling to, if you know, even if say the HR director understands that maybe their hiring managers don't or yeah. Changes for a for a species that changes as rapidly as we do, change sure is difficult uh, for some people. It is. It is. You know, there's a, probably a question in there somewhere. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the things you're saying, the suggestions you have, um, I think that they're spot on. How? What would be your advice for? I don't know. Particularly, like a HR person at a smaller organization maybe their leadership is more entrenched in traditional ways. How do you get the message across? How do you get started? How do you start catalyzing that change? I think that there are two um, areas where uh, you can work on. One is uh, look at the business implication of what's happening. So uh, losing people, losing talent as a huge cost for the company. Um, you know, you lose uh, the person you need a lot of time to rehire the person that you are losing and then you need time to onboard the new employee so this means that every time you lose someone uh, it takes two up to two three months in the us if you are lucky but it might take uh, six 
months minimum in Europe where the notice periods are very, very long wow. and uh, you need, uh, you know, yeah. more time to hire, but also more time for the notice period and for the onboarding. So this period uh, takes from six to eight, uh, nine months. So this is very costly for the company. So when managers or executives really look at the cost of this, uh, um, of this aspect, they are on board. They try. They want to be on board. And they <laughs> agree that something needs to be changed. Another uh, suggestion that I have is uh, look no, look not only at what. Uh, makes people live but also what makes people stay so why your employees are staying in your company so do not only exit interviews but also stay interviews to understand what are your drivers what makes your company so special to your people these can help you in understanding what where you should uh, focus on yeah, that's a really good point. I, I think stay interviews are not as common um, as they should be. And even many organizations don't do exit interviews, which always blows my mind. Um, mm. I think the idea is they're, you know, they're angry or they're disillusioned with your organization. They're not going to give good feedback, but research shows they absolutely do, especially if you give them a couple of weeks to cool down. It would be interesting to take a look at within an organization, what matches up and what doesn't between the exit interviews and the stay interviews, the interplay yeah. of those data would be incredibly valuable. Yes, yes. I believe that right now we are in the position to combine a lot of data, qualitative data from exit or stay interviews and quantitative data uh, in your en engagement survey. So when you look, when you put together all this data, you have uh, the chance to get very meaningful answers or information that help you to create your retention plan. To what degree would you say the steps and measures you can take to improve retention will also improve talent attraction? I believe that they are very strictly connected because when you create an environment where your employees are happy, engaged, and really believe in what they are doing, this automatically makes your company attractive for all the talents. And honestly, my suggestion is to focus on uh, two areas. One is, uh, one is uh, purpose, company purposes, and the other one is uh, help people in growing their skills. So these two areas are making your company attractive and very interesting for your uh, employees to stay. Let's talk about employee development for a second. In many organizations, uh, the employee, develop employee development plan is often, if not backburnered, it's a multi-year pro process. You know, okay, you're going to be in this role for at least two years. By then, you'll have the knowledge and experience you need to move up to that role that you're aiming for, but things are changing faster than two years. They're changing month to month. So how do organizations get more agile with career development? You know, what kind of resources do they need to leverage in order to make sure these things are happening at a time scale that makes sense? I do believe that uh, 
you know, working in a fast growing company like Docebo, what I, what I observed is that uh, not only employees want to grow quickly, but the company evolves uh, so quickly that right now I'm not sure about uh, the new roles uh, that will be open in three months because companies um, that are growing quickly are evolving at the same speed. So you never know what will be the opportunities that you can offer to, to your employees in one year. Of course, you have an idea, but there is much more that uh, can happen meanwhile. So my, my suggestion is to stay simple and consider not only the career growth opportunities in terms of job titles and salary adjustments, but mainly in terms of skills. So what are the skills that you are developing? What are the areas that you are working on? What are the aspirations that you have and how can I help you in being there? Maybe your goal is to to have a role that we don't have in the company right now, but I can help you in get there, maybe within the company, maybe you will get another opportunity in another company in a couple of years, but what what it really is important to understand is that I'm helping you in growing. So even if you are not making a huge step in terms of job titles, what really matters is improving and um, developing your skill set. I think that current employees will have a good sense as to how well an organization does that. They can look around, see what's going on around them, um, and, and look at their own path. Um, do you have a strategy for helping new employees or candidates rather understand that, yes, there is opportunity here. We are interested in growing you. And here's how we can show you that that is happening. My so about candidates. Uh, when I do some, um, I still do some interviews for, um, for some specific roles in my organization. And my suggestion is always I reach out to people that are currently working in the company because, of course, I can explain you what are the frameworks. I can explain you what is the culture. But what really uh, makes a difference is hearing from employees that are currently experiencing this. So my suggestion to candidates is always <laughs> this one. And also for, in, uh, for uh, the employees to look at what's happening, look at your boss career, look at your uh, colleagues, what are the steps they've done in the past to be where they are right now. Excellent advice. Um... Being on the job market, uh, like I said, I recently went through myself. I finally got placed, but um, you have to apply to so many different roles just to get like a single interview. Um, amazingly, even though there's apparently a talent shortage, I think it's hard to understand <laughs> as, an, as a candidate. There are so many movements right from the candidate standpoint, but also from the company standpoint. So a lot of entropy, in my opinion, that is generating a lot of fatigue, not only to employees, but also to the companies. Entropy is a great way to look at it. I think what can happen, you know, what you're supposed to do, the the leading, you know, advice for candidates is you're supposed to find connections at organizations that are hiring. You're supposed to reach out to employees that are at those 
companies. You have to reach out to a lot of them because most of them are going to ignore you. And then, you know, schedule all these sort of pre-interviews and discussions and, and little chats to get the sense. Except that that's a lot, especially if you're currently in a role. Um, and so a lot of people don't don't necessarily have the bandwidth to do that kind of stuff. So I, I, where I'm going with this is that would you recommend to HR, hiring managers or recruiters to say, please do reach out to some of our employees or maybe even here are some employees that if you want to consider reaching out to, we know are likely to, to talk to you. Is that a good approach? I believe so, but probably the impression could be that the people that you are suggesting are the people that you have already engaged and that right, you know right. that they will give a positive answer. So I know it's not easy to find people willing to, to speak, but probably, you know, a couple of messages via, Zoom, via LinkedIn are not so time-consuming, so trying to, you know, ask questions that don't require such a big time for uh, the other person to do. To... When we were preparing for this discussion, uh, you mentioned that there was crazy stuff happening. Is there crazy stuff happening that we haven't talked about yet? Um, yeah, what I'm, what I, what I'm observing uh, really, not only in our market, but also speaking with other um, HR professionals in other uh, industries, we are seeing uh, literally crazy offers coming to, to our employees that are really uh, doubling salaries or offering uh, um, incredible sign-in bonuses. Wow. And it is really crazy because uh, if you, you know that this is not sustainable, this is something that at some point should stop because, uh, you know, companies need to be uh, cash positive at some point. So this will end. This will end. Uh, we don't know when, but at some point, uh, something should uh, should happen. My concern here is this one. We are seeing, uh, we are all doing the same, offering uh, job roles, job titles that, that sometimes are not, are not really reflecting the skills that the candidate really has, just to retain or just to attract um, candidates. And these will have, will, you know, will be challenging in the future because we will, uh, we will deal with a workforce that is not qualified for the job titles that they are covering. This is not mm. happening all of the time, but I've seen this happening many, many times. So reskilling, once again, reskilling will be a major <laughs> activity for all the uh, L&D people out there because... Uh, I'm seeing people, very young people, receiving directors, senior directors' roles, and it's clear that they are not ready for uh, such responsibilities, and they have to develop such skills in a very uh, short time to be effective in their new positions. I once there's this quote, and I have no idea who said it, but I, I always think about it, which is that uh, people, the thing that people fear the most is a lost opportunity. You know, to put it in simpler terms, you know, uh, you didn't play the lottery and then 
maybe your number one or whatever it is. But you, so you have someone coming to you saying, I will give you double your salary to do this job that you probably aren't qualified for. That's a pretty strong pull. And you're right. How could that possibly be sustainable? I mean, a person is going to burn out in all likelihood at that organization, not because they're not great, but because there's also probably something wrong at that organization. Exactly. It's sure. It's not because of you. The problem is the organization that put you in that position without giving you the right tools and the right skills to be successful. Because it's not, you know, failing is not always something that you want to deal with. So... I believe in, uh, I don't know, in six, eight months, uh, we will probably see the, how this will uh, impact the, the job market. I know we got away from the salary discussion, but you know, if you look at your salary structures and you're hiring people at twice their going rate, what are you doing to your employees that still work? Exactly. You, you, you. How are you going to solve that problem? Mm-hmm. You have to be sure that uh, you know there is an alignment. Otherwise, you will lose the people that want to stay. Uh, so that's why I truly believe that this is not sustainable in the long term for companies because it's uh, not affecting only new employees; it's affecting the whole uh, workforce. Nothing like some short term strategies for a long term problem, huh? <laughs> Classic stuff there. Uh, I think we talked a little bit when we were planning for this also about counter offers. Um, insane counter offers, I believe, was precisely what you said. Um, do you want to talk about that a little bit? What are you seeing in that regard? See, and I mean, this is a this follows more or less the same uh, the same path. If you really want to keep someone in the company, you have to be ready to issue crazy counteroffer mm. or, or apply a different strategy, um, looking more at the career development, so working on a specific uh, um, growth opportunity for uh, the employee that you want to retain and ensure this person that in a couple of years, in 12 months, uh, in a specific time frame, uh, he will, he, she will reach that position, providing also training and developing opportunities rather than just money to make sure that this person will be really successful. So this is another way to look at the problem. I always try to focus on alternatives rather than just thinking about money to create a strategy strategy that is more sustainable for the company. So those kind of counteroffers. I wasn't sure when we had talked about it if you had meant uh, counteroffers from candidates, but I see, and it makes a lot more sense um, in this mm-hmm. regard. Yeah, uh, there's been some interesting studies. I, I read so many reports and so much research that it just sort of exists as this amalgamated pool. Um, but there was something about someone tries to leave. So maybe not someone who's necessarily been targeted by an outside organization to, to leave, but someone who wants to leave, when they get a counteroffer and they go for it you know, from their company, they, the company says, we really want to keep you. Here's what we're willing to pay or what benefits or or what approach we're willing to to do, typically leave anyway, six months later or a year later. See, and I'm not a huge fan of uh, 
counter-offering to retain people because I believe that if someone started a process uh, with another company, it means that you have already lost this person, mm, you know. Yeah. So I'm not a new fan of that, <laughs> honestly. Only in really specific cases where you know there are that there are reasons that you can really address. Right. I suggest you do that. Otherwise, uh, as you said, uh, if it's not now in six, eight, 12 months, this person will leave. Well, um, Francesca, I really appreciate you taking the time. No problem. No problem, Jim, really. Listeners, your support means so much to me. I'm pleased to be releasing the next episode in two weeks, and you can listen to it anywhere. Links to my various channels are in the description. Thank you so much for listening. This is Jim Davis with Two Sides HR.